Why struggle through a post-merger integration when you can glide through it? Why deal with the PMI integration challenges when you can overcome them even before they occur? Why move slow when you can move at pace? What are the world's leading PMI experts doing right now to achieve profit-accelerating integrations? This podcast will give you all the answers to these questions and many more. My name is Dudley Peacock and welcome to the 100 Days and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to the latest episode of 100 Days and Beyond. And today we've got a really exciting guest, someone who has, I would say, a, a strong background and interest and looks like a passion for digital and technology and intertwined that into his career over many, many years. And today we got Ashish Das. Uh, did I pronounce that correctly, Ashish? It's right. It's good. Is it okay? Is it okay, good, great. So welcome to the show, Ashish. I just want to say, uh, if I just quickly go into your profile, you put yourself out there as strategy, digital and t- technology, business transformation, M&A, GBS and shared services. And and part of the introduction, I'd just like to give us a bit of a, a, your journey. How did you get into this fascinating world? And let's just get a background. Let's get a feel for who you are and where you come from, Ashish. Okay. Well, thanks for that, Daddy. Thanks for that introduction. Look, like many of us, I think when we started our careers in this industry, we kind of fell into it. Oh, it was in floor 20 years ago now when GE was trying to do some offshore work in India and you know, using and leveraging technology to be able to do it. We didn't think it was possible at that time. We didn't even have the right technology to be able to do it. We had big WeSAP dishes sitting outside our office and things would go down and we'd be twiddling our thumbs for quite a while. But that turned out into this massive industry, right, in India, where the economy in India has continued to grow, had leveraged a lot of the services industry that we are now in other countries is very proud of and has been able to generate tons of employment and really have smart people in great jobs and lives. And then with that, a lot of companies, you know, primarily in the beginning from the U.S. started doing a lot of the offshore work and then had companies and organizations from Europe and then Asia as well. And then also multilateral organizations now have a lot of shared services that are outside and people are doing work from around the world. I don't think anybody had foreseen the pandemic at that time. But the ability to leverage and use technology and be able to do work from anywhere in the world, we started doing this about 20, 25 years ago. Over time, as organizations continue to look for efficiencies and continue to look get better and sharper across their end-to-end processes and also leverage more and more technology, we've seen companies create what we call global business services, which are which are bringing together, if you may, corporate centers. So finance, HR, procurement, technology, admin, all of these typically will come into a GBS officer or a GBS leader, and you start finding synergies across all of these services across the group. And there are different flavors of how companies have done this. And, you know, some have been super successful and some are still starting off and you have to work within the culture of an organization to be able to get it done. But yeah, I think it's a capability that is here to stay and will continue to make organizations sharper, better, smarter as we continue to work in this hybrid world, if you will. That's a great introduction. And you really started at GE in 98. If we think back to 98, we had a whole lot of new technologies. I mean, we had the advent of email. I mean, that was starting to proliferate everywhere. 
faxes and all that were still quite prevalent. Although GE was at the forefront of a lot of technology changes. But if you think back from 98 to where we are today, 2022, what's that? 24 years later, you must have seen an incredible amount of change, of dealing or coping with change and coping with especially the technology change and you helping your colleagues, your people that report to you, helping those that you report to, et cetera, over your career, make sense of this changing world. And it's an ever-changing world. Give the audience a sense of how you view the world since 98 until now. I'd like to give, and I continue to build on that. Think of your home and think of your electrical cabinet and how you have wires to your home and then wiring different parts of your house. Over the years, things have become so much more efficient. But when we were trying to do this, we were using clunky systems, you know, they're really good, you know, mainframe systems, but they weren't really talking to each other. You had to know different screens. You had to know what every screen within that mainframe system of yours was trying to do and then, and really know and learn it. And then be able to run analytics at that time used to run printouts and pages of data to be able to get to something. And there were questions that we wished we could ask, but knew that we could not because of just the lack of data or the amount of data that we would have to juggle through. And I think that to me has been one of the biggest change. We are able to connect to an ecosystem outside today using technology in the cloud that in ways that we could not previously, we can use data and ask questions that we could not previously we just have so much capability today that we did not. When I started, one of the first things we would do is look at checks that did not go through in the bank. And we would get images of all of those checks and microfish shipped to us from the US to India. And we would sit in a dark room at night, put it in a big machine and run it through that machine and, then, and punch information out on an Excel spreadsheet and do reconciliations later at night. Today, if I have a check, I scan it on my phone and I can deposit it and I can move on and really be, you still do a check in the first place. It's so different. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I don't think I've heard the word microfish must be in 20 years. So. Oh my God. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to your CV. I mean, you talk about growth and results oriented digital technology and GBS and shared services. The podcast is about post-merger integrations. It's about integrations. It's about bringing different facets of a business or businesses together. Let's start at the beginning. I mean, you do target selection. You select an entity to buy. You go through the process of negotiation, due diligence, etc. And as a technology person, I mean, then once the deal's signed, then there's this whole integration phase that has to happen. And you've got all these multiple technologies across different organizations and even organizations have different geographic regions or they have divisions or their businesses split and they buy in an, an entity for a particular purpose. They might want the technology, they might want um, the people, they might want the geographic footprint. I mean, there's so many different reasons why acquisitions take place. If we come back and we relate it back to your world, I mean, you talk about growth and resu results-oriented digital technology and shared services. In my mind, and the whole technology space can often be e extremely frustrating on the one side of the con continuum, for, especially for users, because stuff just doesn't work and they're trying to do their jobs. 
And on the other side, it can be incredibly empowering and, and really help a lot. When you talk about growth and results oriented, let's give, give me your flavor. What does that mean in your world with that as a backdrop in terms of remembering that we are focused on integrations and the movement forward of, you know, combining or sometimes even breaking things up, but combining and growing entities? Yeah, no, great question. So at the end of the day, with any kind of merger or acquisition, the best ensure that you're doing is for some sort of strategic purpose, which in my mind, you're either doing it for growth or you're trying to find efficiencies or you're trying to bring innovation. And at the same time, you know, at all times, you're trying to improve your services, your offerings, and how you show up to the consumer or the customer and trying to make things better. So when you think about any such action, whether it's merger or an acquisition or a divestiture, you really want to be from a technology perspective, you know, very closely linked to the business teams and understand what is it that we're trying to do and what are some of the key, you know, investments or key decisions that we must make and prioritize. Because when you're doing something like this, you could boil the ocean and try and do too much. And so I think the most important is for us to why you keep the longer term goals of growth or efficiencies or innovation in mind. In, in the shorter term, you know, we have to keep the ball running. We have to integrate well and not let things draw. And we have to manage change and communication really well to get people to efficiently and effectively continue to run their day-to-day lives. So you have to prioritize and then make those decisions that will help you go forward on growth. Now, we, when I've been in situations where you know, we have acquired a company and then strategically we have said that we will continue to let them run the way things are going to be. In other places, we've said we're going to make significant changes and we're going to integrate quickly. And that totally depends on the nature of the business you're acquiring, the product, the market, and all the circumstances. But you just have to make sure you are lockstep in with the business teams and you're doing absolutely what is important and then saying no to things that will distract you from getting the results. Yeah, I'd quite, to use an analogy, it's sometimes adjusting or, or even implementing a new system or bringing changes. I mean, there's a lot of pushback from users. Sometimes users can be excited initially and then get incredibly <laughs> frustrated or sometimes even angry at some of the changes or because they just, I think a user that from a point of view of they're just trying to get on with their day jobs. And if there's, if they're bottlenecks and things that are, are making them have, and we talk something practical, forcing them to work late, coming back to the analogy for me, it's often like driving down the motorway at a hundred miles an hour and trying to do a, either an engine change or a gearbox change. If you've got electric car, it's a battery change, but I think it's you doing that while the vehicle is in motion, mm -hmm. you know, you might even change the steering wheel and put in new seats all while you are, you know, driving it at a massive pace. It's that whole coordination. And when I look at your CV, you talk a lot about the fact about the teams. What I liked was when you said that you feel that you're a servant leader. And I mm -hmm. thought that was a really good way of sharing some of your philosophy around that, because I think what happens a lot is when you're in the technical space, it's very, very easy to get caught up in the technical stuff. It's how do you form that bridge between technical and people? And I, I'd like to get your philosophy and let's call it your mantra or your blueprint, or I don't know, whatever you want to call it. What is, t tell us a bit about that. 
a friend of mine said it once, and I think he said, you got to listen, you got to learn, and if you got, you got to love or got to love some of the things that will make things successful or what people like. And so I think that listen to learn and to know what is really good and would make a difference in your programs and projects is very critical. In one of the acquisitions that, that we integrated, we did it in a very difficult market, one of the world, one of the world's diff most difficult markets to run an SAP implementation and did a really good job. I think the teams were considerably hard. There were things that we learned at that time, which we did not know. We started getting operational impact and that was not cool, but we do learn from our mistakes. And the next time around that we went in and had another significant implementation in a different country, massive, the culture was different, the language was different that we had learned from the previous implementations. We sat down with the teams and we actually got people in a room and we had everyone talk about where they came from, what was most important to that. And you know, what does 4 p.m. meet for you, I'm going to have a cup of tea, or what does that mean? And, you know, what is somebody else going to do at that time? And it was really interesting for people to come together and really talk about their shared experiences, their culture, and how people get around to understanding each other and really talking about things that are important. And some countries don't. And, you know, it's just the culture is different and you have to approach it differently. We started the second, this other program with that as a base. And then we also spoke to our business leaders and had a conversation about with them about what success meant to them. It was a big matter, a big SAP implementation and the typical, you know, project metrics of being on time, on target, on cost, were important. But the business leader had an ask of us and the ask was, do not mess my business out. I've got a lot going on right now. And we had to go back and say, well, you know, we've got to shut down some of the lines and we're going to have to come back up after a while. And while we plan everything, something could go wrong. And so while they, while there will not be zero disruption, can we agree on what unplanned disruption would look like? And so we put a definition in for disruption. And then we said, if anything went out, that was the unplanned disruption. We agreed to no unplanned disruption. But then we spent a lot of time defining what planned disruption was. And then we went back in and worked that in with our finance teams. And we also prepared to say we had to go out on the street and let them know if there would be any material disruption, we would disclose that. It wasn't going to be a lot actually. But long story short, I think you really need to talk to your people to understand the cultural differences. You need to understand what makes people work. And you need to really define what success will be and get some guardrails around that. Hopefully that helps. It's just making me think that even you almost have to go down to the fundamentals of what words mean. And I think people don't realize that to what sort of level you have to do that, especially when you're in a multicultural environment. I was involved many, many years ago with one where I think Price Waterhouse did some work with Unilever. And there was a whole integration with the HR department. And there was a consolidation of all the HR offices across multiple factories, across multiple countries, across multiple product lines, and so on and so on, and jurisdictions and laws. If you think just in the HR space, that in itself is a nightmare. And if you come back to technology, a lot of the technology runs the payroll, will do the pay slips, will do the calculations on the pay slips and so on. And if they either get paid late or paid incorrectly, you know, you could have queues outside your door and people having conversations and consuming a lot of the project time, just dealing with 
query from users. So coming back to the M&A side of things, what was very interesting in your CV, Ashish, you talk about breadth of understanding in emerging and core digital and technology solutions across. And this is now very, very interesting because it's marketing, sales, supply chain, R&D, and obviously the corporate function. So it's a cross function mm -hmm. environment. So you would have, tell me a bit about the experiences in, or just like we've got cultures within the cultures in organizations, you also have employee types, if you like. Sales people generally are different to marketing people, <laughs> are different mm -hmm. to finance people, are different to operations, are different to distribution. So tell us a bit about your experience around that. When you're going into an M&A and you're going into a post-merger integration, especially on the technology side, but with that people element, tell us a bit about your experience there. Maybe pull up a case study or maybe or just give us your view on that. Yeah, no, look, at the end of the day, you find that most of the teams are trying to really be super successful in what they're trying to do. The sales and marketing teams usually have their own pressures and they want results really quickly. They want they're out in front of the customer. They're the guys who are bringing the money in and they're usually very, very demanding. And you know, of course, the finance guys, very, very focused on controls, want to make sure that, you know, um, We've got the right, we've got the right numbers going through the books and we can add them all out. You know, when we're doing a large integration like this, we have to be able to prioritize. And I think we spoke a little bit about that earlier. We have to be able to say what is most important. So in one of the acquisition integrations that we did, it was across the spectrum where we had to do legal entity changes, move people from one legal entity to another. We had to integrate the factories of the production and planning systems. We had to integrate our sales systems, you know, our trade and promotion systems, and all of that into our SAP. We had a choice to go big bang and do everything at the same time, but the change management around that would have been significant. From a technology perspective, we would have pulled up our socks and said, yep, we can do it. But as we went through the entire change management, we said integrating everything and giving the employee on the shop floor a completely new experience tomorrow morning is significant change and it adds to the complexity that we don't need. Now, we went back and said we would integrate parts and then there are others that we would stitch together and let people work the way they go to work right now and have all the numbers and metrics come out the way we want them to. That caused us, it was more painful, but it was helpful from a change management perspective on the floor on the shop floor and the sales teams to actually get it moving and not change their life too much on day one. We had to quickly follow through though. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to have a quick follow through plan to say, okay, now that we've got the core done, here's the other things that we're going to get done and move it on. So it, it is a journey where then as long as you can plan the 12, 18 months out and say, here's what you're going to get done. People will understand the prioritization. People will understand why they will get the tools and systems they need. Um, and then be able to work around that. And I think that change management and communication is critical as you work through teams. Yeah, I've been in the technology space for probably the best part of 27 years. And mm. I've got to say, for me, I, I, I don't know where I heard it somewhere. It's not something that, that, that I, I made up, but this mentality of I've got to work around. I don't know if you ever heard that word. I've got to work oh, around. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've got a bottleneck of this is not working, but you know what? I've got to work around and the, here I, 
12 extra steps that you wouldn't have had to do before, but let's just use this as a workaround. And then it leads on to what I say is there's nothing more, more permanent than a temporary solution. And, and what happens in technology is we do a quick workaround or we do a quick stitch together. And it's almost like this thing that's going to go wrong sometime in the future. But users don't understand the implications. And when you're going into an M&A and you're looking and you're investigating, and, and when you're looking at due diligence at the pre-deal side, now you're going into the post-deal integration. Okay, so those are two scenarios. So if I go in and I do a due diligence and tell us a bit about your due diligence process around the IT and, and so on and shared services, I mean, shared services as a concept, maybe just for the benefit of the audience, just let that start there. Just define what is shared services? What does that actually mean in, in the bigger picture? Well, your ability to centralize and standardize a lot of your processes and be able to run it from a dedicated team, most of your downstream processes that can be done from a centralized team and then automated is what a shared service is really trying to do. Freeing up people on the more upstream to be able to do the more analytical and customer or consumer touch work. So you could do this for each other, for example, payroll is one that we spoke about, but you can take payroll you can take learning and you could take central, you could take recruitment, you could take onboarding and the entire hire to entire cycle and put that in a shared services and run that from a centralized team, begin to standardize your processes around the globe and apply technology and automation. Yeah. That leaves your HR generalists to be working with the business teams on important developments and talent planning and all the other strategic uh, requirements of the team. You do the same thing in sales, you do the same thing in marketing, mm -hmm. where you know, we've taken out a lot of the content creation work, for example, for marketeers and put that in shared services and freeing up a lot of time for the key marketeers. We've taken work out for writing pitches, for example, or managing websites or managing product information management. Can take a lot of that out and put that in a centralized place and really begin to develop that as a capability that lets an organization you know manage through cycles and every that organization or every industry has a different life cycle of you know growth and then the growth tapers off at some point and you've got to consolidate and find efficiencies and so working through that pendulum of growth and finding efficiencies a shared services sits right in the middle and allows an organization to go through that switch and change if done effectively without having to completely restructure and reorganize every time you go through that. Yeah, I love that because my coming back to the question then, I mean, shared services, if we talk about in a post-merger or post-acquisition integration, and I'm coming back to the start of my question is that when we're looking at acquiring a, an entity and we're doing due diligence and we're having a look at the entity, we go in as an M&A team and we'd say, okay, when we acquire that entity and a part of our sort of, let's call it sort of fundamental things we're trying to do are value creation, mm -hmm. synergy capture, all those fancy sort of terms. And we're trying to then from the, off the back of that, depending on the strategic outcome we're looking for, bringing together a shared service might be 
something that the target company doesn't already have, or you might already have a shared service that then you could bring them in. Or the third option is you're now getting into a situation where by acquiring the entity, you now need a shared service. So there are different scenarios that play out. And I want to get your sense of that because for those within the audience that I say, okay, what, what is it that IT actually do in an M&A, in a post-merger or post-acquisition process to integrate and to bring out value and to, you know, not just be another cost? Because sometimes the view could be, you know what, we got five systems and when we consolidate or buy those four or five entities, we could strip out all those license fees. We could strip out all the extra, you know, peripheral software that's probably not being maximized or being used. There's already, you know, there's already a hundred million dollars worth of savings. Okay. So mm -hmm. that's on the money side. And then all of a sudden you start looking at the people side and then you, the business side and the operational side. And I think I love your thing when you went to start the project and you said, just don't mess my business up. <laughs> yeah. And often clunky as they may be, sometimes the software is so core to a particular entity. So when you're going in as pre-deal and you're doing a due diligence, theoretically, you're going to say, oh, well, I can just pluck that. I can consolidate those licenses. I mean, SAP is a great example of, it doesn't matter if you've got SAP in this division, that division, whatever, or that entity and the target entity. SAP, as an example, is so customized often that when you go in and you actually purchase the entity, they might have SAP licenses, but the way that they've implemented the system is so entirely different that there's no ways these two SAP systems can talk to each other. I mean, that goes across to any ERP or any kind of system that you might have the right, the same identical license or license fee, <laughs> but the, the way that the software has been in, in implemented because there's intellectual property, there's process, there's system, the workflows, that sort of thing being built in. Give us your experience. I'd love to hear your, your experience on that. No, I mean, you've done a great job already talking about what we would do. And I don't know if I can add a lot more value to that, but I, if I was to just summarize that, I think. What we're really trying to do is, of course, you know, look at the cost side of it, right? You're looking at the technology, you're looking at the shared services capabilities, and you are saying, yep, you know, we can put all of our payroll into this, all this, into our shared services. Or if you don't have a shared service already, then you suddenly begin to realize you have, let's say, plant accounting done in all of our plants. And then suddenly you have too many plant accounting cost accountants and you don't need all of that and you can begin to find synergy. You will look at those shared services and the technical architecture, but essentially what you're looking at, you know, block one is to figure out those cost efficiencies across people, process, technology, licenses, and everything else. The second thing is, of course, you are trying to look at how the business will actually run and what is the organization going to be and who's going to be making decisions. And then does your technology and your shared services capabilities support that today, or do you need to redesign something? And from a technology perspective, we do need to have, you know, serious conversations with business where they're making some assumptions around here's what we're going to do and here's how, you know, the orders are going to come in and here's, you know, how it's going to flow. Well, truly it may or may not work. And, you know, here are the things that we need to do and we need our business analysts and our tech, uh, to really come in and pitch in and say, you know, here's how we've designed systems and here are the constraints. They usually know much more operationally, and we find that the business analysts really have a depth of knowledge that must be considered, and we have to take that and 
elevate that conversation back to the guys who are making the decisions on the business and how things are going to work. So designing that process and getting the right subject matter experts and elevating that voice up to into the assumptions being made is critical to success. And the third is making sure you have the right people assigned, you know, with so much that's going on, we may or may not have the right people work and they may be offering something else. So then again, you've got to make those trade-offs. So again, within that M&A pre-need, you go and try to understand what's, what the blueprint is and what you're going to need and get some of the right people to come in and have a conversation and look at the systems and say, is this truly going to work? You know, one of the examples, we're going to use APO for our planning system. And we gone in with that assumption saying, yep, 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 yep. This is, we will run with it. And then we had two of the guys come in and look at the system and say, here's the functionality that the users are currently used to. And we bring in our APO system. How's it going to work? And they came down and said, yep, it can. It needs 25 different enhancements plus A, B, and C. And we were like, there's no way we can get 25 different enhancements to match the functionality of what is already there. Just leave it. Uh, you know, leave it for now, right? And then we figure out what we do. But 25 significant enhancements to the way we get designed the system to be able to match the other functionality. It's just a recipe for disaster. So you've got to have that people process technology conversation and get the right people engaged and elevate their knowledge and their recommendations. I'm just writing it down because I think people process technology. I mean, those are the three sort of almost pillars, aren't they? People process technology you could have the best system in the world, but it can't use itself. So you need people, <laughs> you need process because you need the actual, the procedures, the workflows, because often a lot of the intellectual property has been captured within an IT system. How do you value a digital asset? You know, how do you value an asset that's e-commerce store? You know, it's literally just some code, isn't it? I mean, it's, you got people going on there and they're doing transactions. You got a few payment gateways, et cetera. Do you think overall that when you go in and you're looking at the value of a business, you know, you can go and do from a finance point of view, we can do discounted cash flow analysis and you know, can debate about the WAC or the WACC, the weighted average cost of capital. You could debate about the value of the assets, the buildings, the machines, the, the equipment and et cetera. But what's difficult to value and in terms of a business model, give me your, give me your, your view. I mean, for me, I think the intellectual property and the Let's call it, the, and, and let's say there's a business that you're acquiring that's been around for a little while. You've got intellectual property built into the systems. It's an asset value question for me. You may not have, you may not have ever, ever looked at it this way, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this as a curve bullet. So tell me a little bit about your view on that. Typically, the way you look at it really is not just about what's the, what's the eye. The IP in the system, you're really talking about the data that is sitting in there and the connections that you have with your data and your systems back to your channels and your ability to do business. You know, I think it shows up in your PL in terms of just how efficient your profit and loss statement is. And that's really where you value that. One of the things that you are doing pre deal is trying to understand that and just how difficult or it is going to be for you to manage that data. 
But we always, I don't think we value that at all. So it is a curveball question. It is, it is a serious curveball. It's a, it's the same question yeah. as a talent question, because yeah. if you're looking at people, you say, oh, that's that, that person A or a person B, person C, they're key individuals, they're key talent. Yeah. That we can uh, identify. That, that you can identify. Yeah. But how do you identify the actual value? And, and I think what you did touch on, which I think is, is a really good point, is the amount of data. Now, yeah. there's a, often there's a lot of data that's not being used or maximized or really put to work that's been accumulated in IT systems. Sometimes it's difficult to extract. Often there's a significant value. So when, when you go into an entity and you start looking at valuations and so on, and yeah. when you look at integrations, you start saying, okay, the data, what can we extract? Because remember what the core issues around integration really are that we kind of try to answer the question, how can we capture value? How do we get or value create? How do we capture the synergies? How do we make this entity worth more than when we first acquired it? Those are often questions that I get asked. Give me, again, it's sort of a semi-curveball, but this one's probably going to be a little less curvy than the previous one. <laughs> yeah, look, you are really, you know, you are looking at what's the data, what is the state of the technology platforms. You're really assessing the cost of integrating that into your organization. And sometimes, you know, there may be something really cool that you can bring in, but typically there's a cost to doing all of this. And you have to be able to cost it out and be able to say, here's the capability that we can build and working back in tandem business teams to say, for example, that if you're, if you're a brick and mortar retail business and you acquire something which has e-commerce capabilities, you know, you're bringing a platform on that you can then scale and leverage across your other brands and products. And that's a great acquisition and you begin to value that platform. How good the data is within that, you know, what is the intellectual capital between behind that? I don't know. There's a little bit of goodwill. There's a little bit of, you know, what's the transactions that are really going on right now? What's the, how robust is it? And, you know, what does it cost things up? What is the future of this platform going to be? What technologies are built on? You know, how do we scale this up tomorrow? I think you start building a lot of those assumptions into that to keep your back and put value around that. Yeah, that's well, that's well answered. And even the way that you've answered it, I think highlights to the audience, the complexities out there. It is not as simple a post-merger yeah. integration or even just looking at an acquisition is not as simple as sticking two parts together. There are so many layers that you have to peel away pretty much like an onion, but you know, to use a cliche, but I think, I think that's really the essence of what you've mentioned. And that's why I could, that's why I'm throwing the curveball because I think it's important from a guy like yourself. I mean, you've got an incredible experience. You've got such a, an amazing CV or resume from 1998 until 2022, you've been in the tech space, you've been in the M&A, merger acquisition space, you've led teams, you've been direct, you've managed some serious environments and it is complex and there's it's never the same when you go from one to the next, although some of the principles remain the same. But I think you said, what was it, people, process and system. So people process and technology. That's right. That's what you were saying. The three sort of pillars that, that are key. I'm loving that. And I think that just highlights, I think, 
the complexity because there's no one size fits all. I want to, yeah, I want to just change gears a little bit and say, okay, look, you've had this career that's seen mainframes. I mean, that, that was the old cloud. If you think about that's the sort of the first technology around cloud you had the thin clients, if you remember those days where you had no memory, nothing within the terminals and you, everything was in the mainframes and then it went back down to PC level. And now we're doing cloud, which is pretty much the same thing. It's just gone full circle. It's just the concepts staying the same. The execution is slightly different. But where I see the biggest change and why I'm bringing this up, because you've worked across sales, marketing, operations, et cetera, et cetera. You've worked across, as shared services, you work across so many different operational areas. What's busy happening now, in my view, across many organizations is there's a shifting landscape. There's a shifting market. Consumers or customers are buying differently, demand different things, are demanding a different type of delivery or different type of service. The way that things are going, the brick and mortar businesses, I mean, if we go mainframe style, IBM, those big buildings that they used to house <laughs> computer technology, now everything's in these big data warehouses where you don't even know where they are, you know, in terms of cloud. How do you deal with this trans transition from sort of old technology into an online world, if you like? How have you dealt with it? Give us your view on that. Yeah, it's a broad question. So the shift is evident to all of us, yeah. And we are all, we are not just in the technology or shared services professionals trying to make the change, but we're also consumers and users of that. And we also are changing just the way we consume data, we consume services, and our expectations are different. So I think, I think we're all living that change. And, you know, as we go through this, there's the core project part of the organization where you have to go back in and look in look at your infrastructure or your technology stacks and you have to modernize all of that. So there is a component of modernizing all of your technology to be more contemporary to the new ways of consuming data or running, you know, analytics and reaching out to the consumer. It needs it's a very complex project or a program of projects that needs to be managed very carefully and you know, well aligned with the business teams because that is a significant cost to the organization to upgrade your chassis, if you will, to something that's going to be fit for future. In some cases, you might decide to build a completely new chassis and say, we don't going to retrofit back with the old one. Uh, totally depends on where the organization is. The other part of your question is how do I see this change and where is it all going? Definitely don't have a trace, right? But there are some things that are still going to be there. I mean, if you think about gaming, you still have consoles. Will the consoles completely go away? Perhaps not, but could you start using your TVs as a console as well tomorrow? You could. And I think there is that convergence of all these technologies and devices that we will continue to see. And with more and more data and analytics, you know, our ability to offer services and products that are sharper and better and more personalized, you know, I think that we continue to get better and better. And as we invest in our analytics capabilities, you know, our logistics, supply chains, planning systems, you know, our ability to do that, um, at least at the conceptual and theoretical level with the data and information, you know, we continue to get much better. We do have a few curveballs that keep coming at us, the COVID or the 
situation with Ukraine right now, which completely upset our supply chains. And I think, you know, as we get more data and information and, you know, hopefully all this results well, and soon we will be able to just get much sharper and better. It's fantastic to be in the middle of this transition. You know, when I talk to my kids, you know, we, uh, I tell them you set a four year stick your finger in and rotate to get to a number. And I can memorize all those numbers. They've not seen that. Uh, but we've gone through that to other mobile phones to be able to you know, do everything shop on your phone. It's, we've seen a lot of transition, and I think you get to really see it. Yeah, now, now, now these days it's, hey, Alexa. <laughs> you just talk to yeah. your computer, uh, you talk to your computer, you talk to your car. So yeah, it's fantastic. It's things that I think we spoke about just a little in the questions that you didn't think you could ask because you didn't think, you know, you had enough data or you had too much data. It's, you know, for someone like me when I'm in the car, I like to, I'm thinking, and I want to be able to talk to my car and say, hey, you know, here's some notes and reminders and here's what I want to do. Okay, he calls a call person A or B. The call person A or B works. The other things, you know, still getting there. There's so much more that we can do. Yeah, there, I think there's a book called something about the second brain or something like that, where mm-hmm. you have your thinking creative, sort of the planning strategy brain, and then your thinking, your second brain is the one that must do all the processing stuff. And it's how do you get technology to be your second brain? where you can just do the stuff that you love doing, do the stuff that you, that is really where, where you can add most value to the world and spend most of your time in that space and less time in, in the actual, let's call it the sand pit and, you know, moving, filling a bucket of sand yeah, and just emptying it over there kind of thing. You know, all those mundane things that are not necessarily giving, moving you forward. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we're investing in, in, in technologies using machine learning, getting in. AI, where a business leader can just type in a question and say, hey, what does my share look like today? Now, you spoke about this a little earlier, saying, what does share look like today mean? Every word means something. And, you know, share of brand or category includes A versus B. And, you know, just being really clear about what that data set and the definition is. But we're working on a lot of that today to say a business leader should not be spending a lot of time going through pages of reports or multiple automated tableau or dashboards, let's say, you know, but there's still a lot of them, but can you get to a point where you can just say, Alexa, what does my share look like in front of today or category B and what happened, right? And you should be able to throw that information out. There's enough out there today that gets very close to it. We continue to get better at it as we work through our data, as we work through our definitions. This is my last question. I want to ask you one or two personal questions because we come into around five minutes before the end. And when there's a carve out or divestiture, that would probably be some of the most stress. Is the shared service or even the guys that manage the IT infrastructure. So when we look at that sort of carve out or divestiture, it's not as there's no simple line that you could draw down the middle and say, okay, well, you take those 100 customers and I'll take these 100 customers and you take those three licenses and I'll take these three licenses. And it's not as simple as that. Just give us your experience around the difference between an actual acquisition where you're integrating systems and what's the difference between separating businesses. 
you know, two very different animals, right? With the acquisition, when you're integrating, you feel at least so you have much more control about what you can do and you can push things out or you can get things done now. And the issue there is you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, you can only know how much you understood through the process of due diligence. You end up finding different things later and you continue to work through that integration to make things work and realize the value that you want. With the divestiture, it's your organization. You can put a lot of people together, but then, you know, you realize that an organization is a living entity and it grows and there's different things that happen inside the organization over time that may have been documented, may be available, you know, or you don't know, and you start uncovering a lot of things and you have to go through that conversation of who gets what and how you run it. It's very structured, very detailed, very painful project management you have to go through. You have to be very open in communications and manage that change really well. And you talk to very different parts of the organization from HR to sourcing legal to, you know, the business teams and really try to stitch all of it together and doing it quickly and rapidly. When you're doing a carve out, it becomes so much more difficult. It's just an investiture. And if you're trying to just move a brand out, you know, sometimes those, the financial reporting of some of this is so intertwined across categories, markets, you mm -hmm. really need the subject matter experts to be able to dive deep in and be able to say. Like, here's what's happening to your data reports, the information, and here's how we can redesign all of this. It's like when you unpacking is so much more difficult because there's so much out there. Actually, thank you very much. This episode has been a view into the world of the complexities of IT sort of domain that most people that don't live it, they say someone in IT can fix it. And they don't necessarily realize what needs to happen to keep the system going and to keep the actual IT processor systems talking to each other, reporting. You know, it's not just a press of a button. There are human beings out there that are sweating to make sure that the system works, continues working, and is continuously updated, up, uh, upgraded. I mean, we haven't even touched on things like documentation on things like changing documents, you know, how do you keep a record of a change? If, so, if a business manager said, look, I want to adjust or amend a particular process and then you go and do it. And then three years later, someone comes back and says, but why did you do it like this? You know, somewhere someone needed to keep a record of it just before we end. You want to quickly comment on that? No, 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 what you said is true. And we usually what happens is the uh, business analyst sitting in IT is the one who's, who really knows what happened and the documents may or may not exist. And so you, you have to go back always to some of the business analysts and say, so why did we wire it like the way we did right now? Or can you tell me exactly how this is working and why is, where is it flowing? And I think, you know, what does happen is that some of the business analysts sitting there in the IT teams really become the holders of institutional knowledge. You know, we spoke about knowledge in the systems, but really it is these analysts who really know what has been configured, why, and what is where, really critical part of any change that we do. Yeah, and, uh, thank you very much, Ashish. I, I want to just come on to your personal life, just briefly, if you don't mind. How do you keep sane in this crazy world? How do you keep healthy? 
how do you maintain, I don't know whether there is such a thing as work-life balance, but how do you maintain some level of just sanity in terms of a world that's constantly changing and also make sure that you're still living your life and enjoying it and so on. Just share with us some of those things you do in your personal side. Well, one of the research studies at the university at, at Harvard really says that the, your quality of life and your mental health really depends on, you know, just how connected you are to your families and to your communities and friends. And I'm blessed and I'm fortunate and all of large work. And you continue to just spend time with the people you love and you know, whether it's at home with your friends or colleagues, staying connected, listen, learn, and figure out what you love about each conversation or that, that you meet with, you know, that just keeps you energized and you cool. I love that. I, and I, I had someone, not in one of the episodes, but one of my dear clients mentioned, he says, life's made up of memories. And you want to create as many memories, good memories, that is with your family, your friends, and even at work. But, you know, you want to make a, uh, make up a lifetime of good memories. And I think uh, that's basically what we remember are the significant moments or shared moments that we have. Ashish, thank you very, very much. That's been absolutely fascinating. You're a brilliant guest. I think just from a technology perspective, the audience today has got a view on a professional that has had a fair share of experience since 1998. I mean, it's 24 years in this in the technology space. Thank you very much, Ashish. I wish you all the best, and I certainly hope that you'll come back onto the show at some stage in the future as you shift and change and new things happen because technology seriously doesn't stand still. The fundamentals stand still, but things do change. But thank you very much. I appreciate Thank you for dealing with my curveballs. I really do appreciate it. No, thanks, Dudley. Enjoy the conversation and the curveballs. Good to think through and continue to think through some of these issues. But yeah, again, thanks. Thanks so much. If you need to know anything about Ashish, do you have any way that anybody, people can contact you? How are you contactable? Well, LinkedIn works. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or we like can always, my email and my phone number is a little updated on that. So I'm happy to connect through that. Okay. Lovely. Thank you very much. Have a fantastic day. I know it's busy and all the best and we'll catch up with you again soon. Thank you, Ashish. Cheers, Dudley. Have a great day. Thank you. Hi everybody, this is Dudley again, and if you need help with a future or existing post-merger integration, I want to invite you to arrange a free, no obligation meeting with us. During the meeting, we'll find out exactly what you need, what your challenges are, and we'll explain how our unique PMI slipstream method can help you. Simply call us or visit mergerintegration.co.uk that's mergerintegration.co.uk or come to our website skillfulpursuit.com.